Thank you. Guys, it's so awesome to be here. I'm just so chuffed and humbled to be here, so thank you. Um, are you ready to be changed by the power of God? Because He is here and He is going to do a work that no man, nothing can stop. And um, a few months ago, my husband and my family and I were traveling back from Durban. We had been on holiday and I noticed suddenly that the momentum of the speed that we were going changed. And I, I looked up and noticed that there was a massive truck in front of us. There was a massive truck on our left. There was a massive truck on our right. There was a massive truck behind us. And we had to fit with the pace that these trucks were setting. And I just felt God speak to me so powerfully in that moment that the momentum that these trucks were setting were the, was the momentum that we were stuck doing and there was no way out and we were looking for the gap and in that moment it was like all I could hear was the big drone of these trucks all I could see was the blackness and pretty much dirtiness of these trucks and um, we found the gap and we took it and all of a sudden the pace changed the momentum changed what we could hear was something else other than the drone of these trucks, just almost like a relief. And what we could see was the most exquisite views for miles around. And I believe that the Lord is going to do that with us this morning, that there's so many of us have been stuck in the momentum of what the enemy is doing with delays and distractions, and even with what people or society is saying, and God saying, I'm giving you the gap to go at a pace that I'm calling you to go in. So are you ready? Are you up for that? <laughs> So please can you turn to Numbers 13, if you have your Bibles. Numbers 13. And we are catching up with Moses and the Israelites. And just a little, back, a little bit of background. They had just been set free from the Egyptians. And they had seen God's hand in the most incredible ways. We see God bring plague upon plague upon plague until they are set free. We see the sea opening and them walking through and then their enemies being completely swallowed up. And then after that, we see manna being provided for them, quail being provided for him, a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. I mean, these guys saw things that we could dream of seeing and they experienced the full measure of God. And um, so let's pick up the story. And they, they're basically just outside the land that God had promised to give them, the promised land. So let's read Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites, and these are their names. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to draw your attention to verse 6, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and verse 8, Hoshea, son of Nun. And then we jump to verse 16. It says, these are all the names of the men that Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. And then they go and they check out the land, they explore it and they come back. And we pick up the story again in verse 27. They gave Moses this account of the land that they saw. We went into the land to which you sent us, 
and it does flow with milk and honey. Here are its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, who are the descendants of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And then to end the reading, in chapter 14, verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. What a story. (laughs) Um, So these Israelites, although they had seen the hand of God, they had seen miracles and incredible things, and they had been crying out to Him for generations, they had been in slavery for generations. They say about 430 years, these people were enslaved to the Egyptians. So this was a generational thing. And their mindset was one of slavery. I'm a slave and I'm not worth very much. And all I kind of need to do is just survive. I just need to get through this day and make it alive. They were a people marked with suffering. They knew suffering. The Bible says that they were ruthlessly worked. They were familiar with hardship and hard labor. And even amongst that, they flourished in number. And then they had to endure the massacre of watching their baby boys being thrown into the Nile. They knew pain and they knew suffering. Some of us here, (laughs) all of us here, can relate to suffering. All of us have suffered in some way. And I feel like this morning there's some of us here where we just feel like we're just surviving. We're just trying to put one step in front of the other and we feel like something else happens and something else happens and we just feel wedged in between those trucks. We can't gain momentum, but we're forced to be stuck. And um, it could be death that you've experienced. We've all experienced the realities of COVID, the And just the reality of the fallen world, health issues, relational situations, the list goes on, marital problems. And I just want to encourage you this morning that the Lord knows all about it. He knows. Whatever came to your mind right now as I was saying those things, He knows. And it's so incredible because it's not good enough (laughs) that... um, 
he came, you know, it's not good enough for his children to suffer with no aid. So he comes to rescue them. It's not good enough that he then um, took out their enemies. It's not good enough that he provided for them all their needs with manna and quail. He wants to move us and them into a spacious place of abundance and fullness in him. That's what he says is good enough. It's not okay to just be um, surviving. He wants you to thrive amongst all of it. And it doesn't mean that everything is swell and everything is easy. Of course it's not. We all know that. They knew that. It's living through that, in that place of abundance and fruitfulness. And we have peace, joy, self-control, patience, kindness, fruitfulness, no matter what is happening. The first thing I want to um, draw your attention to is in verse 1. It's this whole thing is the Lord's idea. The Lord said to Moses, send these men. And the Lord said, this is the land I'm giving you. And the Lord is the one who had just won a huge victory for them. He tells Moses to send them, and he says, I'm giving the Israelites this land. But why? Why does he send men to go and check out the land? Why doesn't he just say, this is the land I'm giving you, get ready, because you're going to take the land. Why send men before? And yes, there's a practical thing. I, I believe that they wanted to check out the land where and um, what the fruitfulness was like, and perhaps where the men were. So if the Lord said, go this way, they kind of knew what to expect, but I believe it's something so deeper. I believe it was an invitation from the Lord for them to change their perspective once again about how good He is, how faithful He is, and what He is giving them. I believe that those men were meant to go into the land and have such an upbuilding of faith in God. Look at what He has won for us. Look at this land. This is incredible. It is flowing with milk and honey. This is just what He said. Look how huge it is. Look at all these people. And He's giving it to us. To go back, they were leaders, to go back to their people and to encourage such faith and such awe in the goodness of God. The second thing I want to draw your attention to is in verse 16, I've never noticed this before, that it says Moses changed Hoshea's name to Joshua. Hoshea means desire for salvation. And this was the cry of generation upon generation in slavery. Please save us. Rescue us. And this was a prophetic act of Moses changing this name to Joshua. Because Joshua means the Lord is salvation. They were in the middle of a massive revival. They were in the middle of of moving from um, from surviving to thriving. They were living in the fulfillment of revival coming to them, of promises, the promises of God. And I believe that this morning there is going to be a name change for us, that we are moving from surviving to thriving, that the Lord is your salvation. It's no longer the desire for it. It's coming. It's His fullness in us. So in, um, let's get back to verse 27 where they give... Um, the report. They say, we went into the land to which he sent us, 
And it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. And there's even an exclamation mark. It does flow with milk and honey. And you think, great, <laughs> they're getting it. Like, this is a huge clue, guys, when God says, I'm giving you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And there's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And he says he's giving it to you. And he says, go and explore it. He's going to give it to you. <laughs> like, this is the promised land. But notice how little airtime they give to the goodness of the land, and they give no, nothing about God. They say to Moses, we went to the land that you sent us. Yes, Moses told them to go there, but the Lord sent those men. It was his idea. He sent those men to explore the land. There's no mention of the fact that God is in this at all. And then comes the but. The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw these enemies and these enemies and these enemies. And their mentality is still one of we are alone. We are completely abandoned. We are slaves. We have no worth. This is too hard. And here we are again. We just need to survive. And again, some of us feel like that. I can't do this anymore. This is too much for me. It's too much. Verse 30. Caleb silenced them. And he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The first point is Caleb silenced them. Who needs to be silenced in your life? What voices need to be silenced right now in your life? What situations need to be silenced in your life in order for you to speak the truth? Caleb shows us that it is possible to have a different perspective. He grew up in the same slavery and hardship and suffering, and pain. So what's different? Was he better than them? Was he more righteous? Was he more perfect than them? No. <laughs> Caleb did not disagree with the majority. Notice he didn't disagree with what they were saying. He wasn't living in ignorance or denial of the facts. He doesn't even try and put a positive spin on the reality of the enemy, that they were a powerful force to be reckoned with. Caleb and Joshua saw the events through completely different lenses, a higher perspective, God's perspective. They were filled with faith, whereas the majority was controlled by fear. And we see this in verse 31, after he has said, we can take this, we can definitely take this land. They say, hang on, we can't. They literally say, we cannot, because the enemy is stronger. The land devours all of those living in it. They are of a great size. Conclusion, we are grasshoppers and they can see it. They can see that we're grasshoppers. We can't do this. Hang on just a second. <laughs> the enemy is stronger. Did you not just watch what God did to your enemies? 
how, you how he annihilated your enemies. They did nothing. They walked through a sea that God split open, and then their enemies got taken out by the power of God coming to their defense. They're stronger. They're not, how can they be stronger? The land devours those living in it. Really, did they actually see that? Did they actually see the land devouring people in it? This is such a fear response. This is when we are afraid, we get on a tangent and we just go with it. We just find any reason to justify how we feel. This again is such an orphan mentality. We are alone and this is scary. We are powerless. Yes, they are of a great size. Okay, that seems to be pretty factual. They're of a great size. But the conclusion is that we are grasshoppers. And here it is, guys. <laughs> They've just told us what they believe about themselves. They literally believe that they are grasshoppers. What is a grasshopper? It's a pesky little thing that can just be kicked aside or sprayed with doom or squashed underfoot. <laughs> These people believed that they had no power. And what's more is that they said that they see that. They see that we're grasshoppers. How did they know that? Did they actually ask the people, how do you see those Israelites out there? I can guarantee you that word would have spread about what God had done for his people. I guarantee you that these people would have known the mighty exploits of what God had done for his people. And I can tell you now that they would have been trembling. They probably saw the pillar of fire at night approaching them. They probably saw the, the cloud by day and all this manna and quail just being provided for them. They would have, news travels fast, guys. They would have heard about the sea being split in two. And we see that later on when Joshua says their protection is gone. That is the truth. The fact was that the enemy was strong and intimidating. The truth was God had given them the land. He cannot fail. He will go with us. He will fight for us. He is our refuge. He is strong. He is faithful. He is good. He is compassionate. And He is for us. And He will do it. They had the same facts, but they had completely different conclusions. You see, faith does not deny disputes or ignore the facts. It simply understands that the facts and the truth can be very different things. The majority had the facts, but they left God completely out of the equation. When we leave the Lord out of the equation, our perspective will always be wrong. The opposition will seem greater, the obstacles bigger, and what you magnify in your mind will simply grow. If 99% of those around you say one thing and God's word says something else, always side with the 1%. And we see Caleb and Joshua do just that. In, ver in chapter 14, verse 7, they give their synopsis of the land, and they say, it is exceedingly good. The Lord will lead us into that land, the land flowing with milk and honey. 
The Lord will give it to us. Do not rebel. Do not be afraid. We will devour them. Their protection is gone. Do not be afraid. Again, he reminds them, this is the land that God is giving to us, guys. It is the land flowing with milk and honey again. (laughs) Hello, this is a big clue. This is the land that God is giving us. It's called the promised land because God promised this land to us. Do not rebel. Why is he saying that? Because they were literally turning away from the Lord, from who he is and what he had said to them and rebelling, doing what they believed was right in their own eyes. He says to them twice, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear has overtaken their perspective. And he says, we will devour them. Just like the ocean devoured our last enemies, we will do it again. Their protection is gone. It's the truth. In the face of an incredibly hard past, with hefty opposition before them, Two men choose to believe who God is and who he says he is. His promises to them. How? They chose to believe that God simply is who he says he is. And they knew him. They knew him. They knew his character. And they trusted his promises. That if he said he would do it, he will do it. Their perspective was completely different and they knew their worth to him, that he would not leave them now. They chose to listen to his voice over the majorities. Remember the name change I mentioned earlier, where Hoshea, which was desire for salvation, a crying out, was changed to Joshua, which was the fulfillment of that cry, the Lord is salvation. I just love this because Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is Jesus. He is your salvation. He is your promised land. He is your rest. He is the fulfillment of everything good that you could possibly desire. He is the one who brings revival and redemption to every and any area. It is his idea and it always will be. And some of us are stuck living outside that promise, outside the promised land. And we feel like something's missing. We've given our lives to the Lord, but it still feels like we're not in that full promise that he's given us. On that cross... Jesus took everything that would disqualify you from getting the fullness that he has for you. He is our greater Moses who leads us from death to life. We have complete access to him and the same access to the Father right now that Jesus has. You know, in the Old Testament, there would be the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence would dwell. That's where he would go and maybe a few select people. And the priests could only, you know, get to the Holy of Holies. Do you know that you are the Holy of Holies? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are the Holy of Holies where the Lord dwells. 
You are the temple of God. Havilah Cunnington says, We believe our struggle is with the behavior of sinning, but really it's with the process of renewal. We forget who God is. We forget what he's done and who we are. So I'm going to remind us this morning. And I'm going to ask S.M. Lockridge to help me. And he wrote this preach called, That's My King. And I'm just going to read it to you. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My, key, my king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer seer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave could not hold him. That is our God. And that is your father. That is your father. When we see who our father is, we get true perspective of who we are. In Psalm 139, one of my favorite Psalms, it says that before you were born, every single day of your life was written in a book. Do you know that there's a book about you, about every single day that you are living from start to finish right now in your father's hand? What peace. What peace that he is the author of every single day in your life. 
So who am I in Christ? God's Word says, you're a child of God. You're forgiven. You're a new creature. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are redeemed. You are delivered. You are called of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are chosen. You are elect. You are established to the end. You are victorious. You are set free. You are strong in the Lord. You are dead to sin. You are more than a conqueror. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are in Christ Jesus by His doing. You are accepted in the Beloved. You are complete in Him. You are crucified with Christ and you are made alive with Christ. You are free from condemnation. There's condemnation and guilt coming off you right now. You are reconciled to God. You are qualified to share in His inheritance. You are firmly rooted. You are built up, established. You are born of God. You are a faithful follower. You are His disciple. You are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth and you are highly favoured. God's kingdom always works in the opposite vein. We've heard Isaiah 61 um, spoken of a lot in the last couple of weeks, the year of the Lord's favour. Where we see death, He brings life. Where there's sickness, there's healing. Where there's brokenness, there's wholeness. Where there's fear, there's peace. Where there's lack, there's abundance. Where there's survival, there's revival. Where there's loneliness, there's acceptance. He wants you to see things from His vantage point. What fear is controlling you today that you've been justifying as wisdom? What has been holding you back? Where have you lost true perspective? This is not about being perfect. It is about surrendering to every part of Him and yielding to every part of Him and giving every part of yourself to him until he fills you to overflowing. We have one who identifies with every part of us. He was a man familiar with suffering and sorrow. But in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I believe that the Lord is shaking things up in this generation at this time in a way that we are never seen before. And He's doing it because the greatest revival is coming. And we need to choose today who we are serving. Who is this God? And are we fully surrendered and yielded to Him? We have one life, guys, and this is it. So in closing, the men who believed that they would never make it into the promised land, they did not. They spent, I think they actually got killed shortly afterwards. But they basically also spent 40 years just wandering around aimlessly and never fulfilling their true destiny of their calling and identity. And the men who believed that they would, did they entered into the fullness of everything that God has, has for them. Do you believe? Do you believe Him? Do you know Him? And will you choose a higher perspective? And can I just say something? <laughs> I, I really felt that 
preparing this that there is no condemnation. I feel like it's such a heavy thing that so many of us are carrying. That even as I was reading out, you know, God's attributes and how good he was, you were like, yes, yes. And then when I started reading (laughs) some of your identity, there was a less, yes, yes. (laughs) It is the truth of who you are. And some of us have been partnering. The word that you bought is just spot on. He wants to burn all the things off you that are not from him so that you can truly yield the harvest that he has for you.